Welcome to episode 36 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And this week we'll be recapping episodes 209, Bitter Work, and 210, The Library, from season 2 of Avatar The Last Airbender. Before we start, we do want to warn you that this podcast will be mentioning spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and The Rise of Kiyoshi. However, you are free from spoilers about The Shadow of Kiyoshi, as well as any Avatar Universe comic books. So, Andre... How are we doing this week? This Google Doc is a goddamn mess. I haven't changed the names. The colors are all wrong. I do apologize. It's okay. Other than that, my week's going pretty great. I'm still I'm still fighting those allergies, girl. But mm. you know, I think it's 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 blowing over. No pun intended. Very soon. Um, but no, I'm I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. How about you? I'm good. I just joined a gym for the first time in my life. Uh, I'm a retired Division One student athlete, so I'm trying to find some way to build an exercise to my weekly routine. So I got a Planet Fitness membership now. So yay! Uh, and I'm sore now from working out. So I like <laughs> hurt all over. Well, good for you. That now I, I have to ask you. I know a lot of my friends because I don't have this experience, are they're going to the gym now and a lot of people don't have their masks on. Is that the the deal for you? No, everyone's been good with the masks uh, at Planet Fitness that I've been seeing. Um, I haven't seen mm-hmm. even those people, even those people who put like their nose under the mask. Like mm-hmm. I haven't seen any of that so far. I mean, I've only been twice oh, okay. this week. So uh, personally, I think I okay, see more Morgantown. problems. <laughs> I see more problems walking down the street when uh, down, down, walking down the street downtown when like there's a good amount of people like because people are slowly starting to crawl out of the woodwork because <laughs> the weather gets nicer. Right. And some people without masks. I know it's outside, but like, guys, there's still people outside. You could still walk into someone's sneeze, you know, like, yeah, that part. Um, but yeah, things are good. Uh, I'm winding down on undergrad. I got two more weeks left of school and, you know, a lot of projects to work on, but I'm getting towards the end and it feels good. So, you know, I just want to give a quick shout out. I know we, we probably also have some college students listening. I just want to give a shout out to the college students that had to go through this hell of a year because I'm sure it was not easy. It wasn't. My sister is currently buckling under the pressure of getting all of her assignments done while also working a full-time job in the middle of a pandemic and a lot of schools don't seem to be taking that seriously and no spring break and that's definitely that's definitely been weighing on me for sure two days of rest they give that's still filled with homework and studying um and you know i know it's it's really easier said than done but take care of yourself take care of yourself as much as possible Honestly, if your if your professors will jump down your throat because you turn in an assignment a day late in the middle of a pandemic online, then that's their problem, girl. Take the L, come back next year, okay? Take care of yourselves, guys. Exactly. What he said. <laughs> Some news, Kayla. What's our first news item? Well, yeah, well, the first bit of news we got is that yesterday, as of this recording, so April 14th, was the nine-year anniversary of Korra. So the first ever episode of Legend of Korra aired nine years ago, you know, this week, you know, or this week that we're recording, I should say. Mm. It's hard to describe time these days with, like, release dates and stuff, but, yeah. Korra nine came out nine years ago. Years. Nine years ago. That's okay, so next year will be a ten year anniversary. We should have like a we should have like a live streamer like something for that like, par- you know, vir- yeah. the virtual party with the, you know, our listeners and stuff. React. Oh, that'd be fun. I wonder if Avatar Studios will announce anything on the ten year I mean, anniversary. Janet of Korra. Varney, Janet Varney, the voice of Korra, actually has been, actually has said that she's working with Nickelodeon again for something. 
So interesting. Is it an Avatar Studios project? Is it you know like why extend is it? this podcast shelf life, Jeanette Varney, as much as you can, please. <laughs> Oh, that's very interesting. So, I'm very excited that about extra that. Is that as well? But yeah. Well, really, really quickly, really quickly. What is your favorite episode or moment from Korra that's not the very last scene in season four? Oh, man. Um, hmm. I think probably the fight with Zoh- uh, like Zaheer and Korra, like that whole, like, it's like, she, like completely unhinged, like, crazy bending we haven't you know just it's just insane like force of nature that Korra is can be um Mm -hmm. and just how that episode has like repercussions into the next season um you know that definitely uh is probably my favorite episode scene just it's just so good (laughs) I think it's something a lot of people will say though uh my favorite episode honestly is um I think it's episode eight of season one, which is when extremes meet. Um, this is when Cora, Team Cora, is like kind of doing the Batman vigilante thing in oh, Republic City. Oh, that's a good episode too. Yeah. Um, Tarlock arresting everybody. Um, Tarlock and Cora fighting at the end of the episode and bloodbending her. I don't know why, but to me, that is just like a perfect episode of Avatar. It's got everything for me, and it's the episode that I go and rewatch every single time. Mm-hmm. So. That's awesome. I mean, I find that like season one's always the one, like the whole season is what I end up rewatching at a time. You know, for the other yeah. seasons, I would just watch like a certain episode or something in a rewatch, uh, with the exception of what we're eventually going to do on this podcast. I'll watch it in mm-hmm. order, all that stuff. Uh, but season one tends to be the one that I go back and rewatch. Yeah, I just adore season one. I just love it so much. Yeah. Well, shifting gears into um, a slightly less fun topic, um, we thought it was important to talk about this on the podcast before we move on. This past Sunday, less than 10 miles away from the George Floyd trial, uh, 20-year-old Duante Wright was fatally shot by a 26-year police veteran, Kim Potter. That's not saying she's 26 years old. She's been on the force for 26 years. The police said that Mr. Wright was initially stopped for driving a vehicle without current registration and then detained after they determined that a warrant for his arrest had been issued that stemmed from a missed hearing on a misdemeanor gun charge. I was doing research for this because I wanted to make sure I get the facts right. And I noticed that two credible sources had debunked the idea that there was a notice of hearing sent to the wrong address and that's why Mr. Wright was killed. Um, That is just not what happened. And we can thank Mr. Walter Masterson on TikTok um, for, I guess, just either misinterpreting the data or just doing it for clicks. But that's not what happened. Either way, that whatever happened is not grounds for murder, obviously. And apparently, according to police officials, Potter had mistakenly convinced her taser for her gun. And I also did research on this, and it is absolutely ludicrous because I looked up the tasers that Minneapolis officers carry, and they are a completely different color, bright neon yellow, and a completely different size and grip than a service pistol. And according to the Brooklyn Center Police Department, their protocol dictates that officers wear their guns on their dominant side and tasers on the opposite side of their bodies to reduce the risk that they will confuse the two weapons. 
Thankfully, this past Wednesday, Kim Potter was charged with second-degree manslaughter. And while that's all well and good, you know, the fact that this, was, that this happened while Derek Chauvin was being put on trial for the murder of George, George Floyd that we all fucking saw, why we're having a trial for it, I don't fucking know. But if anything, this just fuels my belief that we should not be giving police officer guns. If they're going through twenty, if they she's been on the force for twenty six years, and she accidentally pulls a gun instead of her taser, uh, that's not an accident, Mama. That's not a fucking accident. That was deliberate. That was fucking deliberate. It's also not the first time this has happened. This happened four or five other times in the past. So all that to say, we want justice for this man and Black Lives Matter. Kayla, what can our listeners do to help? Absolutely. So you can support Dante's family. Uh, he left behind his partner, China, and their two-year-old son, Dante Jr. Um, if you are financially able, please consider sending donations to uh, Cash App, uh, dollar sign, hubby98, Venmo, um, T-H-U-Y Jones, or with a dash in between, T-H-U-Y dash Jones. Um, and then... For PayPal, it's at holistic. I believe it's pronounced show, but it's it's uh, spelled it's holistic, and then it's uh, ho it's holistic ho. I'm so sorry, I did not read that well. Okay. So it's uh, PayPal is holistic ho, and it's spelled holistic, and then H E A U X. These monies will be donated just directly to China, and please remember to put this in the subject he header. Dante Jr. Dante is spelled D A U N T E. So um, and we'll put this in the description for the episode as well. So that way it's yes. an easy way to access it. Um, and also you can support some organizations out in Minnesota that are, you know, fighting for justice for him and for other cases like him with the Center for Economic Inclusion dot org, Voices for Racial Justice dot org, the ACLU of Minnesota, which is ACLU dash MN dot org and Reclaim the Block dot org as well. So send donations either directly to his family or to these organizations or both. And Black Lives Matter, Justice for Dante. I can't, you know, I, I can believe this is happening again. This is not just a one-off thing. This is a, this is not, this is a, a symptom of the greater issue of white supremacy mm -hmm. in this country. So. And like Trevor Noah said, which I think he, he put it beautifully, it's not just one bad apple, it's the whole rotten tree. It is undeniable at this point that there is a giant problem and we need to do something about it. It's literally baked into the, you know, it's put in the foundation of this country. So we need to. I just imagine all what would have happened if like, you know, a doctor had come in in the heat of of you having a medical emergency and he gave you the wrong medication and it killed you. That doctor would lose his license, possibly go to jail for it. And even if a person, just a regular person, involuntarily, accidentally kills someone, they're still going to prison. So why police officers get the benefit of the doubt, I do not understand. Neither do I. There's no graceful way to transition out of that, so let's just go ahead and start with episode recaps. So we are going to start with 209 Bitter Work. I wanted to point this out before we get started. This episode is really focused on bending and also the parallel of Aang and Zuko's training. Which I did not even think about. <laughs> Keep that in mind as we make our way through through the episode. So it's Aang's first day of earthbending training. He couldn't be more thrilled. Sokka, on the other hand, just wants to sleep. Same. Uh, they're making a bunch of noise. He goes off. <clears throat> Shout out to Jack Dasana for the awesome... <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome. I love him. Um, so Aang asks which earthbending technique they're going to start with. And Toph suggests that they simply start by moving a rock. Good idea. Which is good a good idea. So as they start training, Toph explains that earthbending is all about a firm, steady stance. And that earth is a stubborn element. Therefore, you yourself must be like a rock in order to bend it. At Aang's first attempt, he ends up blowing himself backwards instead. And that's the first sort of attempt that Aang has at earthbending. Kayla, thoughts on this opening episode? Or, I sorry, mean, opening scene. Humor is already getting. Like, there are some really good funny moments, especially Sokka moments in this particular episode. So it's great to have the, you know, right off the bat. And also, like, it immediately kind of sets up with how, uh, you know, with this episode kind of sets up like the philosophies of like airbending and earthbending and how differently those two elements and the people who bend those mm-hmm. elements um, approach a problem. Uh, so Aang kind of finds ways around it and Toph faces things like more head on. So exactly. Really cool. Um, So in a flashback or some just sort of dream sequence, we see a younger Iroh being chased in a field by his younger son, Luten. And then it literally immediately smash cuts to Iroh at Luten's grave years later. Um, and he says, I'm sorry, my son. And this dream is interrupted when Zuko shakes an unconscious Iroh awake. Uh, first of all, forgot that this happened. <laughs> Was not yeah. prepared for that. We got leaves um, from the vine coming in a couple episodes, guys. Like they really are. I don't know. Like between this and and so what we got in Zuko alone with Luten, it's like I really appreciate that. You know, I think Iroh in any other TV show could have easily just been a character that his backstory was completely um, obfuscated. Like you didn't really need to know his backstory like that could have worked, but the writers did take time. I was like, no, like there's a person there. He's not just there to mentor Zuko. And it also complements his relationship with Zuko and how he kind of sees him as his own son, you know? So it's really interesting. I love the character work that they give Iroh. Um, But Zuko explains he was knocked out after a surprise attack by Azula, which Iroh remarks that that doesn't really surprise him. And Zuko offers Iroh some tea that he made, which Iroh describes as bracing, and, you know, he did his best. It's, it's a sweet gesture. It is. And but, even uh, Iroh tries drinking it. He tries drinking it twice, you know. Yeah. He drank it. Not, he didn't just do it like once and then dumped it over his shoulder. He did it twice before dumping it over his shoulder. Andre says as he drinks his own tea. Exactly. No, I mean, you know, you know what this is? Growth. Because season one, Zuka would never have done this, you know. Oh, yeah. At least just like voluntarily or like not out of pity like like if Ira was just chilling Zuko would never just be like hey you want some tea like you know but you know little little you know moment of growth there um so it's here where Zuko asks Ira to continue his training as he is going to know he's going to need to know more advanced firebending when he inevitably faces Azula again and Ira agrees and there's this moment where Zuko says I know what you're going to say. She's my sister. I should try to get along with her. And Iris says, no, she's crazy. She needs to go down. <laughs> Which is a, this it's a wonderful, is so funny. There's a wonderful like... moment of subversion and humor. Oh, I yeah. Love it. So as Aang's training continues, he starts trying to find other ways to move the boulder. But Toph says that he has to stop thinking like an airbender because that's his main problem. So it's interesting, like... Obviously, the Avatar is really the only person that has to adjust their mindset to bend the other elements, you know, at least starting out, you know. So it's interesting that, like, 
there is also a lot of like intention that goes behind bending, not just like the pure physicality of it. I also want to point out some of the parallels between Korra learning airbending and this, because Korra, if you remember in Leaf in the Wind, like the spinning, like turnstile thing she had to walk through and she had to like duck and weep and avoid. She tried be running the leaf. Be the leaf. She could not be the leaf initially because her approach was to face things more head on, you know? Yeah. So yeah. punch parallels. her way through. Yeah. So yeah. they have the exact opposite problems, you know? Mm-hmm. So. so Katara tries to give Toph some advice on how to train Aang and tells him that Aang responds to a positive learning environment. Toph thanks her for the advice and ends up doing literally the exact opposite. She's pushing Aang to his absolute limit. And after a few initial failures, Aang gradually starts to become successful with the various training techniques that Toph puts him through. I just, I'm just remembering like Toph's recap of the events when she goes, when she meets with Korra and she's like, I threw some rocks at the avatar and he got all whiny and Sokka fell in a hole. So like, (laughs) not much to tell. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I want, I want, I, you know what? I want, the entire series, all the events that happened in Avatar th- through the telling of old Toph. I would love like, that. I want her to describe like the final, like four episodes. Like I wanted to describe like the, the time they like, you know, uh, barreled through the inner ring to get through the earth King. Like I'm sure it's like very oh, yeah. anticlimactic for her. <laughs> so Sokka, meanwhile, has gone off on a solo hunting trip and he tries to catch this baby saber tooth moose lion which, I don't know, feels like a lot. But he ends up falling in a hole and is trapped. So he's in a hole. Um, we're with Ira and Zuko now. Ira explains the nature of lightning bending. And I love this. I'm just going to quote what he says in the episode. So he says, Lightning is a pure expression of fire bending without aggression. It is not fueled by rage or emotion the way other fire bending is. Some call lightning the cold-blooded fire. It is precise and deadly like Azula. To perform the technique requires peace of mind. Exact opposite of Zuko. It's literally the exact opposite of Zuko. Kind of like how Aang's the opposite with earthbending. But like the way lightning bending is used, like especially with the Zula at the end where she like knocks out Zuko, right? And is like just shooting bolt after bolt at Katara. That seems pretty like rage filled and emotion filled. You know what I mean? Oh no! I mean, like I'm thinking about like how the in the even in the end she was able to generate lightning, which I mean, it's a performing technique requires peace of mind. She was like Mm -hmm. the exact opposite of peace of mind in that scene. So does that have anything to do with her skills? Yeah, I wonder if it's like when you're learning it, you have to have the peace of mind. Yeah, and then once you learn it, it's like it's like kind of like riding a bike. You don't forget how to do it. Exactly. That's what I was. Or if it's like you have to exhibit that. I mean, if if that, if this is the case, like I props to Azula. Like I, I wonder if like if you have to like sort of quiet your mind before you try and start doing that. Like that's that's crazy to think about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you don't if you do try to do it with that peace of mind. I'm I wonder like maybe you can still generate lightning, but you probably have less control over it or something. Kind of like how you Zuko know, was it, like making things blow up when he was trying to lightning bend with his. Right. Well, I mean, even even Azula mind. like. Again, near the end when she's shooting those bolts of lightning at Katara, it seems very like messy and not precise and calculated like Azula always is. Like she's just hurling these bolts at her, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's like becomes just less stable if you don't have that peace of mind. I don't know. It's very interesting. 
So Ira continues, to, and he explains that when positive energy yang and negative energy yin are separated, they create an imbalance, and only a select few firebenders can separate these energies. When the different energies recombine to restore the balance, they come crashing back together, creating lightning. And, I mean, props to the uh, Bryke for creating such a detailed explanation where they literally could have just been like, yeah, firebenders can do this. Yeah. And then just leave it at that. And any, like, you know, you know like there's just layer and layer and layer of reasons why this is a thing. And adding in and philo- like it. it's a philosophy as well, you know? Like Yeah, it is a philosophy. Um, but I was just wondering throughout this entire explanation, how does this relate to combustion bending? Hmm. We like, only had two combustion bending characters in this entire show and they both didn't really get the chance to explore how they do it. I mean, yeah. clearly the tattoo on their forehead, you know, I think it's one of their, uh, isn't like, isn't there a chakra in like your forehead and like in your head? Yeah. There, yeah. The crown something chakra, like that. So you, yeah. So you'd imagine it had something, it had something to do with the mind and also is combustion bending an extension of fire bending or is it its own thing? I know Palik can fire bend. It's Sparky Sparky Boom Man. I don't think we ever see him fire bend. So I wonder if like are all combustion benders firebenders, but not all firebenders are combustion benders. It's weird. Uh, so it's the light. So the light chakra is in the forehead. So it is. Um, it deals with insight and is blocked by illusion for the for the you know forehead mm-hmm. light chakra. So oh, that's interesting. I know we've kind of asked how combustion benders like how it, or, that just that whole thing started before and i wonder if the comics get into it i don't know shadow kiyoshi gets into it but i don't know i i just wonder if there's like a if there's like a similar path of of reasoning kind of like how metal bending and lava bending are kind of like you know they fork off from earth bending like that's how i kind of see lightning bending and combustion bending like they're related but they're not the same at all, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know. Um, we got Avatar Studios. Maybe we'll get an explanation. <laughs> Period. Get, give us a protagonist that's a combustion better. That'd be cool. Yeah. Damn it. I want a Red Lotus series. I want to, you know, I want to see, like, you know, young Pali, you know, with this combustion better. You know, anyway. what's, you know what's funny, though? I, the, the, I, I've seen a lot of people asking for that Red Lotus series. It reminds me of the Harry Potter fandom asking for the Marauder series that we're yeah. never going to get. Like that's that's the kind of like the energy that I feel, but I don't know that Red Lotus series that could be really cool. I always see art of like the young Red Lotus and mm-hmm. then like ha- having like adventures together as like childhood friends, as if they aren't like terrorists before they became anarchists and terrorists. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Ira begins to demonstrate the lightning generation, and this is really cool. And I, also, hats off to the animators for making this look cool in broad daylight. Like, it, it, I can imagine it's hard to, for number one, make it look like you can actually see the lightning against a blue sky and also, like, do the shading and the lighting and all that. So props to them. Um, but Zuko is like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to try this. But much like Aang's first attempt at earthbending, Zuko is also blown backwards as he creates an explosion rather than lightning. So this is when I started noticing there might have been there's probably a parallel here somewhere between the training just because of that visual cue of both of them being blown backward at the, their first attempt of at trying something new, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're back in the quarry. Toph switches gears a little bit and says that Aang will attempt to stop a boulder blindfolded thanks to Katara. Um, 
But when it comes down to it, Aang jumps out of the way like an airbender. Instead of facing the boulder head on and Toph berates him, Katara steps in and suggests that they go take a break so Aang can work on some of his water bending. So they go do that. Meanwhile, Sokka is still stuck in the ground and he promises to karmically correct himself and he will lead a vegetarian life if he comes out of the situation alive. And much like, you know, me on New Year saying that I'm going to start working out, this is, isn't going to be the case. Um, but then the the saber-toothed moose lion cub, again, this feels like a lot, brings him an apple and Sokka tries to grab it with his boomerang, which now doesn't work back, out. come back, boomerang. <laughs> I love that line. Now come back, boomerang. But he's like, because yeah. like, he has like T-Rex arms because of how he's spitting <laughs> in the hole and just... Now come back, boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I love that that but like everyone else is having like really like um <laughs> like prolific like bending like training and, uh, and soccer's just stuck in a philosophy hole. and just he's just in a hole. Yeah, the philosophy lessons, yeah. Um so Katara and Aang are practicing their water bending in a nearby uh lake or pond. Um, and Kar- Katara explains that this earthbending block that Aang is dealing with can be resolved if he just confronts it and talks about it. But Aang expresses his frustration and confusion about not being able to earthbend. And Katara suggests that since earth is the most opposite to his native element air, then that could explain why he's not naturally attuned to earthbending. Um, and this is the first instance where we really get the idea of um, the opposite element being a really hard element to learn for an avatar which is just a a really cool little um i'm not gonna say like roadblock but it's like it's a way it's kind of how like you know with the avatar state you've got that fail safe of like if you get killed in it it's gone right so you got like the power level but you also have the same amount of risk and it's kind of like this like so because if they made like the avatar training like super easy you know, it wouldn't be as interesting, but because this block that Aang has is revealing something about his character, then suddenly the earthbending training becomes much more interesting, and you want to see him overcome that instead of just wanting to see him move a rock, you know? They make moving a rock interesting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, So we're back with Iroh and Zuko, and Zuko complains that even though he keeps trying, keeps trying to generate lightning, it keeps exploding in his face like everything always does. Um, and Iroh remarks that he will not be able to master lightning until he has dealt with the turmoil inside of him and that he must let go of his feelings of shame if he wants his anger to go away. So this is, uh, again, another st- uh, straight parallel to what Katara was trying to tell Aang when she was telling him he needs to confront this block and talk about his emotions and his problems. Go to therapy. <laughs> uh, go to therapy. Iroh has just like repackaged that and said it much wiser. Sorry, Katara. Um, but like it's it's the same message. Like if you don't confront your feelings, it's gonna do damage later on. You know. It's you no. Know, I know we like to joke about like the you know like the TikTok of like I saw like we saw a TikTok of uh, top training Ang being like, "What do we do with our feelings? We hide them in our muscles. <laughs> <laughs> don't hide your feelings in your muscles, guys." Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sure that's a common earthbender problem. Just bottle up those emotions and don't talk about them. But yeah, I'm also an advocate for for talking about your emotions. It's not easy. It's not it's not easy at all. Um, but it it definitely will help in the long run, just from personal experience. So Iroh then says he will teach Zuko something that even Azula won't know because he invented it himself. 
Uh, he then explains to Zuko the characteristics of each element and their co- corresponding nation. And I'm just going to read these. Um, I just love these because I also hear these all the time in like avatar edits on TikTok. Um, so like when he was going through it, I was like, oh, I recognize that. That's where that's from. Um, so he says fire is the element of power. The people of the fire nation have desire and will and the energy and drive to achieve what they want. Earth is the element of substance. The people of the Earth Kingdom are diverse and strong. They are persistent and enduring. Air is the element of freedom. The air nomads detached themselves from worldly concerns and found peace and freedom. Also, they apparently had a pretty good sense of humor. Um, And water is the element of change. The people of the water tribe are capable of adapting to many things. They have a deep sense of community and love that holds them together through anything thoughts i mean it's just so cool to see it being broken down by like not just like the elements itself just like how the personality traits of the people who bend those elements correspond to the philosophy of that element so like element of power drive and will you know that kind of thing right or fire and also shout out to iroh for those drawing tutorials yeah seriously uh, for that for the element insignias um zuko asks why he's telling him all of this and iroh stresses the importance of balance and that people can gain wisdom by understanding each other wow if only more people in the real world would take that to heart um if wisdom is drawn from only one place it becomes rigid and stale and adds that this technique he's about to show zuko was developed by studying the waterbenders zuko also makes a comment about how all of the balance stuff is starting to sound like avatar stuff um and uh iroh says that the 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 fact that the avatar can bend all the elements is the reason why they're so powerful but also why they can restore balance is because they have all of those elements inside of them that they have to find a way to balance it all out so the, this importance of like balance 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 like that's what's keeping the world together you know and he also does this thing where he like draws um like lines between the elements to say like when they're divided they don't work as well together you know so it's it's just a really cool lesson and we see characters throughout the show and Korra um exhibit fighting styles that mirror other elements especially in Korra when things become much more assimilated and techniques are are more accessible and you know as as bending progresses as a martial art as a as a art form um it it becomes a lot more uh, kind of all coming from the same basket of I mean, techniques. You an know? example of this that I can think of off the top of my head is like the fight with Kuvira inside the, you know, the giant mecha suit thing where like Korra's metal bending, but she bends, like she moves the metal like she would water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things you could do breaking down that fight, but that's the one that sticks out to me the most. Right. Well, in Korra too, her airbending is also very punchy, which is not what we're usually used to seeing with airbending, but she does do a lot of punchy because that's just how she is you know and there was that thing of like she's out of all the elements she bends fire the most and that seems to inform a lot of how she bends the other elements as well you know so i don't know it's interesting just the relationship between bending and all the elements are just really cool to think about um and then iroh begins to teach zuko how to redirect lightning and explains that the lightning goes through one arm into the stomach and out through the other arm they practice this hand motion to feel the pathway of chi going through them. And when Zuko thinks he has mastered it, he asks uh, uh, Uncle Iroh to strike him with lightning. And of course, Iroh refuses because of the possibility of hurting his nephew and states that if he is lucky, he will never have to use this technique. But of course, we know he does. 
wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm -hmm. And not from Azula at first. At first. (laughs) Actually, I don't think ever, because he doesn't end up redirecting. Well, no, he does. He does. He does. He says, yeah, okay, right. Boss is like, scared you're going to really, I'm going to redirect. And he's like in position to do it again. And then she goes after Katara. Yeah, and he's kind of kind of redirects it, but it go, like goes through his heart, or you know, so he doesn't <laughs> redirect it correctly, you know. But uh, but Iroh does say if it, you have to be careful because if it goes through your heart instead of your stomach, then that is it, it's just you know game it could over. Kill you. <laughs> yeah, it could kill you. Um, and then uh, as the as dark clouds become rolling in symbolism, Zuko states to his uncle that he will find his own lightning, and then he rides off on the Usher tours. Excuse me. I must go at angst. <laughs> so Katara says she hasn't seen Sokka and her and Aang go off to find him. And as Toph is also continuing to push Aang by doing stuff like using his airbending staff to break open like nuts. Um, and although Aang is like, that's a delicate instrument made by the air nomads. Like we've seen him like whack that thing against a million things. So I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Um, Aang eventually finds a, a disheveled Sokka who's been there for hours at this point. Uh, he attempts to use airbending to free him, but it doesn't work. And Sokka tells him that he needs to use earthbending, but Aang says he can't. He goes on to share with Sokka his feelings toward learning earthbending and the pressure he feels from everybody for him to get it immediately. And then he says this. He says, if I try, I fail. But if I don't try, I'm never going to get it. And this is classic gifted kid syndrome. I don't know about you, yeah. but when I was in elementary school, every Friday, like half of my class would go to Gifted. They just call it Gifted, and I never knew what they ever did, but apparently it was awesome. It was called Enrichment Program when I was in elementary school, which is basically the same as the Gifted Program. So yeah, I, really? I got you. Oh, they called it, no, they called it, they called it Gate, and I, it was like Gifted and Talented encouragement or, or something like that mm-hmm. but they like got on a bus and went to another school and they did stuff like build sand castles i don't know i never knew what they <laughs> fucking did there um but it's like it's that thing too like i know so many people who did those programs and when they got to like college or like after they graduate they're scared to try anything because they're afraid that if they try it then they're going to be bad at it which means they fail which is like the worst thing a gifted kid could feel so i mean ang is a little bit of a gifted kid here he picked up waterbending extremely quickly and extremely well and he was, you know, he was and a, he's master a master airbender 12 so like of course for a 12 year old kid like him having problem with bending something that he's never really experienced before that can be a little scary to kind of feel that sense of pressure and failure, which by the way, no one ever says in the episode, I wonder why you're not getting it immediately. That all is coming from Aang. Like he says that he feels pressure for everybody for him to get it immediately. No one ever says that in the episode, but that is another thing that gifted kid syndrome kind of gives you is that you have this imaginative pressure that everybody's watching you and that if you don't do it right, then they're going to think you're a failure, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know. I just thought it was extremely interesting hearing him say that. Yeah. I was never in the gifted program. I mean, I might've been one of like the smaller programs that kind of fell under the gifted umbrella, but just as just honestly, just even as like the oldest kid, 
in my house like just that kind of pressure of like being the first to do everything like mm-hmm. yeah i related hard to both ang and cora trying to learn an element that was joking to pun on 10 of an element that was out of their element you know <laughs> so. yeah although i think yeah well that's a good point but i think cora was um much more willing to keep trying than ang was i don't know that's the impression i got i don't think cora was afraid of failing necessarily even though she it did more I mean, a frustration than it was like, a frustration fear, fear. it wasn't necessarily a fear of airbending mm-hmm. you know it was a frustration but that frustration stems from the same place of how she picked up all the other elements so easily and so quickly as far as we know that's kind of the implication that we get even though we don't really see a lot of her training but i don't know that's a really good point um but suddenly the cub returns whom Sokka introduces as the famous fufu cuddly poops uh, which he, he yeah he is named off screen um <laughs> so he's been there a while and then ang asked the cub if he had lost his mother and as if on on cue the fully grown mother of the cub arrives furious as she assumes that the boys have stolen her cub uh as the mother attacks Aang continues to use airbending to blow her off track before the mother gives up and loses interest and we realize that Toph was there the entire time she's clapping and she fake congratulates Aang while continuing to keep cracking nuts with his staff and this pushes Aang to a breaking point and he demands that she return his staff and then Toph says that Aang is finally thinking like an earthbender by standing his ground and, and standing up to her specifically and orders him to try and move the rock again. And then Aang successfully does it. Um, and Toph proclaims him as a true earthbender. Aang offers to remove Sokka from the crack very enthusiastically. But Toph, not wanting to risk accidentally crushing Sokka, drags him out of the hole herself, which Sokka says, yes, no crushing, please. Um, and it's it's also really funny Some the way great soccer moments Toph like drags him out of the hole, like he just um, and then like drags the ref- rest of his body out. It's just so funny. Oh yeah. Aang happily shows Katara and Appa his new abilities, which is very cute. And Katara takes Toph aside and questions if she tried the positive reinforcement. To which Toph replies that she did, adding <laughs> that it worked wonders, <laughs> which obviously it didn't. It's not what she did, but I don't know. It's interesting. Like, do you think? I mean, obviously, it ended up working, but do you think if Toph would have tried the positive reinforcement thing, it would have helped Aang? I know it's hard to see Toph teach in a, in a positive learning environment, but... Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I only, I can't think of a good answer to this at all. <laughs> Sorry, I'm useless with this. <laughs> it's okay. Can't think of it. It's okay. I don't know. I don't know. It's if just it hard to imagine anything. it going any other way, honestly. Because like, even if she was positive with him, he'd still have a hard time with it. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. So we're at the final scene of the episode. Zuko is staying alone at the top of a mountain, and he's yelling into the thunderstorm as lightning crackles overhead. He challenges the storm to strike him, yelling that he can take whatever it throws at him, and that it has never held back before. The storm does nothing, does not oblige, however, and Zuko falls to his knees in tears, crying out in anguish. And I understand this is a very serious moment for Zuko. I completely empathize with that, and yeah. I respect that in all levels, metaphysical, socioeconomical, and sociopolitical. But at the same time... <laughs> at the same time, this is hilarious to me. Because <laughs> it's like, I'm imagining like Iroh in the house being like, the fuck is that noise 
and looking out the window and seeing Zuko like shaking his fist at the sky and like teenager yells and, and, at and, teenager yells at Cloud <laughs> like, exactly. Not to discount what Zuko is feeling because it is very important for him and his character, mm. but at the same time, it's just like it's just it's just kind of funny. I don't it know if that makes went, me a bad like, It went from like the emotional like turmoil to like it just went over the edge into like you know absurdity almost. A little bit, a little bit. It doesn't. I don't it know. It throw itself off the deep end. No, I'm. I'm saying it just like you went. It it went over the line from like you know. Oh, this is a really emotional moment. I should be taking this seriously too. Going a little over the top. But but taking it seriously for a moment, it's interesting that the way Zuko reacts, I think, is what is what makes the scene. The way he he like like begins crying and like shouting and like it's an extremely an emotional moment for him. But it's like he, you get the feeling that he's just like stuck. Like he doesn't know he doesn't know what to do. He tried going out by himself. That didn't end up working. He doesn't belong anywhere. Um, he's constantly feeling belittled and not as worthy as Azula, not only because he got his ass handed to him in, in the last episode in the chase, but also just because he can't get this thing that apparently came so easily to Azula. Like it, it's really taking a toll on him. Like he's, he doesn't really know what to do at this point. And then contrasting with, um, with Aang who end ended up, talking about his feelings and what he was afraid of with earthbending to Sokka versus Zuko not still not confronting any of those emotions and failing at the end of the episode. I think it's even though it, it has drastic um, differences in how it ended, that parallel is still there. You know, it, 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 they were together throughout the entire episode, except in the final moment when it mattered and Zuko, which just wasn't able to deliver on that. So I don't know. It's just really powerful stuff. I don't oh, yeah. Know. Absolutely. But it was a little funny. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's the end of the episode. So we're going to take a quick break for our ad read, and we will be back for 210 The Library. Stay tuned. And we're back for the recap of 210 The Library. Uh, the gang is still in the desert, and Aang essentially makes an orchestra out of these, like, meerkat groundhog things in the area. Uh, that was funny. Um, but Sokka then interrupts and says that, like, look, we need to be, like, making plans. We, you know, there's still a war going on, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and then Top's like, yeah, we're planning. We're planning some mini vacations because, yeah, we can't save the world if we're burnt out, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so, like, Props plan- to them for taking care of themselves and avoiding burnout. Self-care. So Aang points out how hard he's been working on his training. And Guitar points out, you know, hey, it's important to take breaks while saving the world. So that's what they do. Uh, mm-hmm. And so Sokka's like, well, we need to get intelligence for the war to end. And then Katara makes like a slide joke, like, all right, we'll finish our vacations and then we'll look for Sokka's intelligence. <laughs> har har. Uh, wow. so, so Katara then picks the Misty Palms Oasis for her mini vacation. So that comes up a few times in Avatar lore. I believe it's mentioned where, um, what's his name now from, from Rise of Kiyoshi? What's his, I can't remember his name right now because of an L. Why am I forgetting him? The villain, uh, Jinju? No, I mean, I was not thinking about that, about Jinju, no. Um, didn't, like, what is his name from the Flying Opera Company who threw stones? I'm trying to remember. Lek? Lek, yes. You think he was from the area that was either, like, I think it was, like, his village got wiped out, but it was near the Misty Palms Oasis, I think. 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But anyway. It did show up in the Rise of Kyoshi at some point. It did sh- also shows up in Legend of Korra uh, in season three, uh, where Team Avatar tracks down Suyin Beifong's interrogator and try to intercept a meeting with Zaheer that he has with Zaheer. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, we get to see it again. Well, that's, <laughs> the, that's the Misty Palms Inn. But yes, oh. general Misty Palms area. The area. Yeah. <laughs> Vicinity. The but, district, yes. I mean, I think. Don't doesn't like Lynn meet up with like Cora's dad also in like I think the and same Zuko. bar and yeah. Zuko mm-hmm. in the same bar like it's like the same or similar bar that you know yeah that's where gang. everyone meets up again yeah there you go all right we got that so then they get to the oasis and Ang described you know described this as amazing place with like you know all that stuff and it's kind of falling off the deep end kind of like Atlantic City um <laughs> and uh, they go to this kind <laughs> of seedy City. bar where people are and like they find this one dude who orders a mango drink and Sokka's me at the bar because I do not I I need like the mixed drinks I need like the orange juice mixed drink stuff you know uh mm-hmm. But the stranger at the bar orders a mango drink, um, bumps into Aang and uh, spills it on him. But Aang, you know, he just brushes off. He's like, you know what? I, you know, I can easily drive myself off. And he, you know, does. And which impresses and mystifies this stranger who introduces himself as Professor, Z- is Professor Zay, right? That's how you pronounce it? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is the head of anthropology at Ba Sing Se University, which is cool because we, like, I kind of forgot that, like, the Avatar universe has universities. College. College. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, a couple okay. things. This mango drink looks fucking dope. I want to drink that. I want to recreate that. Also, those those ice bowls, like, it just it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Also, yeah, I'm with you. I need to have those. If I'm ever having alcohol, which is not very often, I will go for a mixed drink. Sometimes just a basic screwdriver. My boyfriend, he likes beer, like any kind of beer. And I'm like, are you even gay? Are you a gay? Because I feel like you're lying to me. <laughs> like... He likes beer so much. I'm just like, I don't, I don't fucking get it. I don't get it either. I've never seen a gay who likes beer. Um, Ugh, I hate beer. Anyway, yeah, I fucking hate beer. It's disgusting. <sighs> anyway, um, so yeah, Professor Zay is absolutely mystified by Aang. You know, he he calls him a basically calls him a relic because he kind of is. Let's be honest. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know whether to be offended or. <laughs> and Aang, and I think Aang has the same reaction about like being called like an ancient relic. <laughs> like, it's like that tiktok sound when it's like i would rather you call me a slur like <laughs> <laughs> so he quizzes ang about his culture even measures his head i saw that i'm like why do you have this the forcep thing to measure his noggin what's what's that supposed to do that with has anything? no boundaries yeah and he just like he's like taking notes and all that stuff um and then Sokka's like hey do you happen to have a map by any chance because ours is kind of not really updated especially because of how the misty palms oasis turned out to be uh, and they examine it together only to find that there is no map of the Fire Nation. Uh, Zay finds that he's been, you know, points out that, look, I've been searching for all of these lost civilizations all over the Earth Kingdom. And right now I'm just trying to find this uh, library belonging to Wang Shi Tong. Uh, and he says that it's, no, this library is more important than gold because it has, he's, he's you know, it's owned by this knowledge spirit who collects books and all sorts of other knowledge from all over the world with, you know, his fox-like spirit, you know, librarians. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sokka points out, hey, this might give us some information and an accurate map of the Fire Nation. I want to spend my vacation at the library. Like, <laughs> that was me as a kid. I used to devour books. Now I don't have that kind Same. of stamina anymore. Unless I have to if, do it for a podcast. If it's not for a podcast, yeah. <laughs> it's not for a podcast. If it's not for school, then I just don't have the stamina for it anymore, guys. I barely have the stamina yeah. sometimes to do school reading, you know. 
Um, but anyway, so Professor Zay says that it's impossible to reach the library on foot through the desert, to which they're like, hey, want to meet our sky bison? And so uh, when they're out, they go outside and they shoot some sandbenders away from Appa, which, you know, foreshadowing alert, put a pin in that. Um, aren't they basically the Tusken Raiders of the Avatar universe, now that I think of it? They look, they're they're like the Tusken Raiders and also like a little bit of the Jawas, like I think. Yeah. Why didn't we bring this up on our Star Wars episode? I know, no. I was really thinking <laughs> that and I wrote, when I wrote this down, I'm like, well, we weren't here yet. You know, it wasn't the first thing that came to mind, but true, yeah. True, yeah. Um, so then the group heads out on Appa in search of this library. They're searching for hours. There's just miles and miles of sand. I don't like sand. It's coarse, rough, and irritating. Oh my god, it gets stop! Everywhere. <laughs> well, isn't the Misty Palms Oasis kind of also like Mos Eisley a little bit? I mean, this whole it's desert seedy. thing is like kind it's of like, like Tatooine. This, it's like this like seedy like you know area in the middle of yeah. It's got bounty hunters. Sand. It's got you know scavengers. Like come on, you know. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um. So yeah, like they look, they you know, Top then decides to be a smartass, and it's like there it is, getting everyone's hopes up. That's what it'll sound like when one of you spots it, and she like waves her hand in front of her eyes. <laughs> I love the blind jokes in this universe because it's not, it's never at the expense of Toph being blind. It's at the expense of everyone else forgetting that she's blind. Yeah, know? and it's almost always her making the blind jokes. Oh too. yeah, absolutely. My favorite is season three where they keep showing her the poster. I and can't like, see. Toph, look at this. She's like. What? I can't see. How many times do I have to say it? <laughs> I'm blind. And she does like that. Exactly. Uh, but yes, then Sokka then spots a spire that matches the illustration of the library and they land. And Katara doesn't think they found it because this building is supposed to be enormous. And then like a miracle, there's literally like the music is like, huh, you know, and like mm-hmm. this little fox creature shows up on a dune and then just, shoots up runs up into the spire with carrying like a scroll and there's the library because it's been and it's been completely buried under the freaking sand um i made my note to make the i don't like sand joke from star wars underneath there good for me um i admire professor zay's optimism though because he's like my life's search is buried under sand all right let's start digging he's taking this little baby shovel that i used to play with at like the beach as a kid and just start mm-hmm. good for him pal uh, then Top then detects that the library is completely intact and not filled with sand yet. Foreshadowing. Put, pin that in, put a pin in that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sokka then suggests climbing in the same window that the fox did, and Top's like, yeah, you guys go in without me on this one. It's like, you know, I have held, she says, I've held books before, but they don't exactly do anything <laughs> for me. And like, she says, like, she basically asks them for like audiobooks. Like, is there anything I could listen to? You know, bring it back out, get me an Audible subscription. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give me some CDs from the from the CD section of the library. Yeah. Oh, I tried with the I tried with the audiobooks. I did that when I had to do a project. I I picked to do a project on Hamilton. I chose the Ron Chernow book on Hamilton, the one that inspired mm-hmm. the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's what I did because I didn't have time to read it. So I just got the one free book you get for Audible, and that's that's how I spent it. And I hated it. There you go. <laughs> anyway. So the group then climbs up and leaves Toffet up at a hangout outside to try to bond. Um, I mean, the library is so cool when you get to see it. Like, I want to spend time there. Like, I want to go peruse. Like, it's like the cool. It's a cool design for it. It makes you know, it's kind of a honestly, it's kind of a mix of like fascinating and like on you know, inspiring like wonder struck type thing, you know. But also like, there's always a kind of this feeling of, like something's not quite right, mm-hmm. you know. Did you get that vibe? 
too? Or? Yeah, it's got for me. It's it's like the very similar lighting to like Lake Laogai. Like it's like that dark green overlay that's happening, and it's just mm-hmm. like yeah. But also, I'm looking at all these books, and I'm just like, I want to fucking read all of them. Mm-hmm. Like, what else? What else in this universe? Like hell, we do I'm- not know about. Like, hell, I want to read this and learn more. I mean, hey, the last book I read was Rise of Kyoshi. So, you know, also, I appreciate the buttresses joke that they make on their way down. Of course. <laughs> Look at all those buttresses. And they're all just laughing. Just really love architecture. Mm-hmm. And then we see the giant owl spirit himself, Wang Shi Tong, who has discovered their presence. He is spooky and majestic and gets even spookier later. <laughs> like. You know, he literally is like a symbol, like owls, some you know, symbol of wisdom. But also later when we see him like kind of go sicko mode on them, uh, you know, he kind of is like a serpent-like creature, which in some, you know, they're both animals uh, that are symbols for knowledge in different areas of the world. So mm-hmm. there's that. Yeah, <laughs> that also kind of terrified me as a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Although the owl is a traditional symbol of wisdom and viewed as an animal that may harbor mysteries or secrets, the owl in actuality is not a very intelligent bird, according to Avatar Wiki. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there goes my entire childhood. I was obsessed with the Guardians of Gahul books. Man. <laughs> do you do you have do you have a bird phase? I had a bird phase. I was I did not birds. have a bird phase. I do know the books that you're talking about though. Oh man. I mean, yeah. Anyway, I can go that's a different podcast right there. Uh but anyway, so they uh professor zay just runs out. he's like oh my god i'm your biggest fan like i am so excited to be here that you know blah 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 and he's like he's like yeah get out of here i'll taxidermy your ass like you know <laughs> verbatim like is that. what he said exactly yeah, if you You're don't believe done. us go watch the episode like he literally he threatens to taxidermy professor zay like damn uh and then Sokka then joins that's, a, that's in the ember island uh, ember islanders cut <laughs> he says i'll taxidermy your ass <laughs> that on a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but <laughs> anyway so uh Sokka then joins Zay and asks, asks the spirit if you know hey did you bring the spirit library into the physical world and he's like yeah but humans aren't allowed in this place because you guys use knowledge as a means to get the upper hand on each other referring to the grand admiral douchebag himself mm-hmm. Zhao. yeah Which yeah then- well, I wonder how Zhao found the yeah I mean, I was guess... it like was it kind of like how you know? Um, I don't know, because like Hitler kind of had an obsession with like ancient shit, you know. So like the like, occult. Yeah, so like maybe that was something like there's like you know, thing, kind of thinking of like maybe that would be kind of something perhaps like to try to get any sort of advantage that they would have against the world, you know. Yeah, and I also think the Fire Nation has their own wealth of like knowledge and maps that are not accessible to the rest of the world. And he probably had a map that told him the exact location of this library. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. <sighs> but yeah, so Sokka then, which prompts Sokka to lie about why they're here. And then like the, the owl just calls him out as bullshit. He's like, if you're going to lie to an all-knowing spirit, you should at least put some effort into it. <laughs> like, that's a, that's a, that's a verbatim, verbatim line from that episode. Yeah, that's <laughs> actually verbatim, yeah. Yeah, not taxidermy your ass. Um... <laughs> Just your ass. Uh, he then drags Aang into it. It's like, hey, by the way, Aang's like, I'm with the Avatar, and he can vouch for me because he's a bridge between spirit and, you know, physical worlds. And, yeah, he can vouch for me on this. Uh, and then, you know, promises that they're here for scholarly intent. And he says, like, okay, great. Now prove it. Give it. Give me something that can, you know, help this library. Give me some form of knowledge. 
So Zay offers a first edition book, Katara her waterbending scroll, Aang offers his wanted poster, and Sokka a knot. Just a knot. Perfect. And I also think it's really cool that, like, you, you know, years later we see Jinora in the same library talking to Spirit Jinora, Aang's granddaughter, you know, coming back to the library in oh, Korra right. and offering her own bit of knowledge about how radios work, you know, like that's how, yeah. you know, I don't know. I just love like all like the things that made me think of Legend of Korra, all these places that we get to revisit in the series. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Um, anyway. Cut back to Toph trying to strike up a conversation with Appa about how she like sees through earthbending and she points out how the sand makes it harder for her to see. So, you know, again, put a pin in that. Kind of setting it up, yeah. Man, I forgot how much this episode like sets it up, like what happens at the end. You know, it, like the pieces are there. It's not out of nowhere that what happens. Um and back at the library, Aang finds a scroll on lion turtles. Put a pin in that, friends. Oh uh, my gosh, yeah. And uh, apparently Aang was left-handed in a past life. I always knew I was special. I don't know why, that part made me laugh. Um, and then Sokka finds the most valuable piece of information there. He finds a paper that describes the darkest day in Fire Nation history that simply has the date, but nothing else on it. He then tries to find a whole section on the Fire Nation, only to find that it's been burned by firebenders. Fuck. Of course. Fuck. <laughs> Strong Hitler uh, parallels here. Uh, a fox then appears behind them and leads them into a planetarium and shows them how to operate the machine. Katara then suggests putting this date of the darkest day that's listed on the parchment. Um, but then once they realize what, you know, when they, and once they mess around with the machine a little bit, they realize that a solar eclipse or the day of the black sun as the episode when this happens comes about will incapacitate the firebenders in a manner similar to how the moon being removed affected the waterbenders. So, put a pin in that for later, kids. A lot of pins in this episode. There's so many pins. pins, so many pins. Uh, just as Sokka is, you know, is like, yeah, we can use this again to help defeat the Fire Nation. And, like, we gotta tell the Earth King about this so we can plan an attack and la 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 la. And then Wansuji Tong appears, rightfully and royally pissed about this abuse of knowledge. Um, Sokka then tries to justify what they're doing, pointing out the damage that firebenders did to the library, to which Wan Shitan replies, you think you're the first person to realize that, you're, that their war was justified? Mm-hmm. What do you think of this part, man? Like, this particular line. Uh, it reminds me of another Star Wars parallel. It reminds me of um, in The Last Jedi, um, <clears throat> where Finn and Rose are doing that side mission in Canto Bight, and... Um, Benicio del Toro's character is like, you know, good, evil. It doesn't matter. It's, it's where the, the money is, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's like you're supposed to like question if the gang is doing the right thing. No. But it does like pose a question about war. And same thing in Last, same thing in Last Jedi too. Yeah. It poses a question about war and it, and it makes you think of like how the other side views the people that we're trying to root for, you know? So it's a very sm- it's a small moment, but it's like, you know, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, I on. mean, we know that the gang are having good intentions and are trying to end the war, but he has a point. And considering that he's kind of, Wang Chitong is kind of detached from the world by staying in this library and having his Fox assistance being his only way connection to the outside world, you know, that's how he sees it. He just sees them as another Grand Admiral douchebag, except, you know, he doesn't know them. Right, right. So, 
So then he basically turns to this serpent owl monster and he's flapping. Well, before he turns to his owl monster, he starts flapping his wings and to collapse the library so that way no one will abuse his knowledge again and basically plans on killing them because they know too much. Fuck. Um, mm-hmm. The gang flees, chased by Wang Chitong, the serpent owl monster. Um, Appa senses the building collapsing when outside and Toph tries using earth bending, sand bending uh, to stop the library's collapse. Um, Sokka then points out before they make their escape, they're like, hey, we don't know when the next eclipse is going to be. And maybe it's before Sozin's comet. So then he takes Aang with him to the planetarium and Katara just tries to get the fuck out with Momo. Um, they eventually they go back to the planetarium and find that the eclipse is just a few months away. So Sokka writes the date down so that way they can give it to excuse me, to the Earth King. Outside things are just getting worse because now shit, the sandbenders are here and they're after Appa. Um mm-hmm. fuck. And Toph can't help because she's trying she's trying to do both and help Appa and help the gang, but she's one person and doesn't really know sandbending just yet. Like she's she knows sandbending pretty well, if all things considered. She's holding up a fucking library by herself. You I know? think I I think um this is probably the first time that Toph is bending sand. Yeah. I think she's kind of just kind of doing it at pure instinct and hoping that it'll work, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, she's a also, fucking library. This, this this part of the episode, like my chest was tight. Like I was on the edge of my seat. I was I even though I've seen it before, I'm like I'm I like between like the library sinking, Toph holding it up, um, <laughs> Aang and Sokka trying every single date, and Appa being taken, <laughs> like, and Katara so and going. Momo being hunted by an owl spirit. Like there is a lot going on and girl, I was I was on the edge of my seat. Oh yeah. Amazing. It's amazing. Um, and like, she can't help Appa anymore because she's trying to hold the entire library up and Appa gets taken away. And Toph is like, you see her like tears forming in her eyes. She's like, I'm sorry, Appa. And like my fucking emotions. It's so iconic too. Just that, just that line. And also just that shot. I don't know why. Like (sighs) it's just burn into my, burn into my brain. It hurts, man. It hurts. Um, Katara then gets cornered by Wang Shitong and then Ta- Sokka knocks him out Sokka style learn it <laughs> uh, Sokka then calls to the professor who refuses to leave uh, because he could spend an eternity in here reading and guess what he fucking does that I got an eternity but yeah his corpse is in the library as we see with Jinora later in Legend of Korra dark. that's some dark shit now, do you think the owl spirit killed him he looked or... like he was laying in the same position I think oh, he was okay. more pissed at like Aang and Sokka and, and all of them because you know he straight up heard true him he say probably that. Was just like all right you can stay but i mean you're not leaving bro so and he did yeah the spirit R. I. P. yeah wang Tong regains consciousness and shakes katara and Sokka off the rope but ang manages to catch them and they fly out of the library together once they she realizes they've escaped toff releases her grip on the library and it vanishes and sinks beneath the sand into the spirit world as we see in legend of korra isn't that last time we see the spirit library mm-hmm. did i mention it's in legend of korra <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah although they're you know initially happy that hey we got you know the fire nation's weakness like you know the mood suddenly yeah, takes like a quick shift when they realize that appa is gone and you know <sighs> Aang's reaction just breaks me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, apart from it being like his like spirit or I'm um, sorry, animal companion or animal guide. Mm-hmm. It is like between it is Appa and the staff that is like his only real connection 
to his culture. the Air Nation and in his culture. Like, you know, and we know that he prides that above anything else. So, <sighs> man. Who's ready for some pain in the next few episodes? Just... Jesus fucking Christ. <sighs> uh, pain. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. That's how we end. Aang's, you know, sad that Appa's gone. So, oh boy. Mm. And that's the end of the recap. How about All our right, Zula so- Bell count? Well, no, no Azula <laughs> Bells these episodes, so we're going to keep it at 16 this week. Um, do we have something for Phantom Corner, Kayla? We do. We got a submission from Extreme Secrecy on Instagram. Thank you, Extreme Secrecy. What a cool username. Uh, and they write, hi, I have a question for Phantom Corner. What do you guys think Yun's stained hand is a symbol of? It's mentioned a lot in the Rise of Kyoshi, but I'm not really sure why. And we talked about this. We <laughs> talked about this in the episode. We mentioned, I was like, like, significance. I was like, this i was like they keep bringing it up and then just moving on so i know it's important but i don't know how Mm -hmm. so i can't i i can't i couldn't tell you we we have to wait and see what because we know that yun's been like deeply affected by what happened whatever happened to him when he was taken by father glowworm in rise of kiyoshi so you know, I just don't fucking maybe know. it's a way to like recognize him, maybe to show, maybe to foreshadow like the corruption that's going to happen to him, you know, in the spirit worlds. Like maybe it's a well, I mean, of that. I mean, the stained hand was from the the encounter with yeah, um, I know that, Tadaka. but I mean, like maybe it's like foreshadowing that he his mind would become corrupted by his experience in the spirit world. Maybe I know it's like grasping at straws, but I'm trying here. I'm trying to get something. Well, maybe know? it's like a maybe it's like um like. You know, like when someone does something really bad and like your hands are, are like covered in blood or something mm-hmm. like I wonder if it's like um because even though he didn't willingly or knowingly impersonate the avatar, I mean, I got to feel like that's like really going against the universe. Mm-hmm. It feels like like an like a unforgivable offense to pretend you're the avatar, even if you didn't know it. Yeah. You know, like it, I think like to the universe or whatever, like, I think that's like a, that's just like an unforgivable offense. So I don't know if it's like that, but I don't really know. I think, I wonder if like, maybe it has something to do with, maybe we'll get a new like sub set of bending with Yun that has something to do with that. I don't, I don't really know. Like it could go any direction. Yeah. It's a good question though. Thank you for sending that extreme secrecy. If you want yes. to submit to Fandom Corner, you know, please do. We'll give you information on how to submit to Fandom Corner in another section. Not this section, yes. the next section. <laughs> but first, recommendations. Oh, yes. Kayla, what is your recommendation for this week? So I didn't know what I was going to put. And then I started watching The Boys on Amazon today. And for those of you who don't know what The Boys are, what The Boys is, what The Boys are, it's a show. It's an Amazon show. Um, mm. Basically, kind of like, what if superheroes were like celebrities, gods, and like, police all rolled into one and a little bit of actors too um it is fascinating i'm on episode three right now i will warn you though it's very it's definitely rated r like it is gory there is some i trigger warning for sexual assault that does happen in the show um but it really it's just so interesting to watch like because we love we all love marvel and dc and stuff like that dc movies though are kind of iffy but Marvel for sure has kind of ruled the world with its, you know, superhero movies and just kind of like, I just love all the ways that they're exploring like the how like how capitalism, how like the use of capitalism and like the power of social media and marketing like in ways that we haven't quite seen that explored in superhero media before. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not always a fan of the gore. It's very gratuitous gore. Um, very. But thank God there's a skip button, you know, the 10 second skip button. I will yeah. say, though, it's a funny thing where like they blow up an invisible superhero through a bomb in his butt, which is funny. But also the guy kind of had it coming, so he deserved it. <laughs> he like, had it coming. He yeah. had it coming. I I watched The Boys when it came out. Um, I, I really love the concept, mm-hmm. but as a TV show, I was I had some issues with it mm-hmm. but it is a very it is a very interesting concept yeah um i mean it maybe did i'll stem lose from interest a, but i'm very fascinated by it for sure yeah it did it did stem from a, a comic book too mm-hmm. which is really cool um but yeah i mean i would i would give it a shot it is uh, yeah extremely gory extremely at, gory at that's that's one of the, the drawbacks i had for it. it's one of the reasons why i didn't want to watch it um for a while mm-hmm. and my brother's like telling me like little bits about it what actually motivated me to watch it was me watching a video about Supergirl, um, kind of like the downfall of the Supergirl show and like its wasted potential and stuff like that. Cause I used to love that show. Um, mm-hmm. but then like, you know, they used a clip from the boys of like the kind of the shallow girl power feminism that can exist in superhero media. Yeah. And like, I mean, there's a scene from the boys where like Starlight, who's one of the main characters, one of the newbies to the seven, which is like the Avengers of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Starlight, like they said, like, we're going to like, we're going to empower you with this new suit. And it's way more revealing. It's like, you know, it's set, you know, it's, it's empowering, showing you how much, you know, by showing how much you know, all the skin, she's like, but it's my body, you know? So like, yeah, there are some very interesting commentary <clears throat> that's raised with the boys. So. Yeah. I'd say the most interesting part of the show is the characters, uh, that are in the seven. I mm-hmm. think just everything else I I don't want to get into it, but mm-hmm. yeah, I would check it out. Definitely. If you're into superheroes, um, my recommendation is <laughs> getting DVDs from thrift stores. I know this sounds weird, but hear me out. That's okay. I went to a Goodwill recently, and I got 12 DVDs for $6. And they're all in great condition. What movies did you get? None of the DVDs are scratched, and I got them for $0.50 cents each. And I'm not even talking old movies. Like I, I got like all the Lord of the Rings movies on DVD, some Marvel movies on the DVD. Mm-hmm. Some horror movies. I'm trying to compile all the X-Men movies because I want to get that and I don't want to pay for it, like renting on Amazon or something. Um, but yeah, like go to the DVD section because they, they almost always have really, really good deals for that. If you are someone who um, is distrusting of streaming sites and how quickly things, you know, appear and disappear on there um, and you are more interested in owning your content, then I think that's a def- definitely good place. A lot of thrift stores will have will have recent movies as well, not just old ones. So Yeah, there used to be this, I'm not sure if it still exists, but New Jersey, there is a place called Tunes, which is literally like you can get old like vinyl, old CDs and movies for like, you know, kind of mm-hmm. slightly more expensive. I, yeah, I wish I wish thrift stores had more. Yeah. yeah, I wish thrift stores had more vinyls. All the all the ones I've been to, all the vinyls are just all like Christian records. Mm-hmm. So not really my vibe. Um, but but yeah, definitely go check it out. Cool. And that ends our recommendations for the week. Uh, so if you love Avatar Hour and you want some more, consider visiting our Patreon. We've got a lot of exciting bonus content over there. And just for, you know, $1 a month, you can get a shout out live on the show and also receive a personalized thank you video from either myself or Andre. I mean, we love making this podcast and we really appreciate your support. So go visit us at patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast. 
Yes, and if you'd like to send us some feedback about the show or send in submissions for Fandom Corner like Extreme Secrecy did today, you can email us at theavatarhourpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach us on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast or on Twitter at Avatar Hour. Also, if you can spare the time, we would really love it if you could leave a review on iTunes or any uh, streaming site that you're streaming this podcast on right now. We'd really appreciate it. It helps get the podcast to more people and hopefully grow our little Avatar Hour family. Um, and that's also completely free to do. Uh, follow, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more uh, Season 2 of Avatar Last Airbender. But until then, we'll see you guys later. My name's Andre. And I'm Kayla. And goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye.